I ask these two gentlemen up here because what we're going to do is uh, give you a little skit about what I went through and how I was led to Christ. We're going to go through the sinner's prayer. I want you to repeat after me. This is where. Come on. This is where. This is where. We say. We say. The sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. Amen. You two are now going to heaven, so go out there and lead someone to Christ. You can go now. <laughs> so I want you to see what happened. I'd been talking to Jeremy. Jeremy knew what was happening. Mark did not. Let's say I was discipling Jeremy and I wanted to lead him to Christ. And I says, yeah, let's come on over, man. I'll lead you to Christ through the sinner's prayer. And he brings his friend Mark who has zero clue what's happening. What good have I done? I've sent them out. Go lead others to Christ. Even Jesus Christ wasn't that way. He looked at his disciples and he said, follow me. And he spent three years with them. The creator of the entire universe did not go up there, touch their little head and says, now you have all the knowledge you need. Go out and do what I want you to do. He spent three years with them in love and in fellowship in order to lead them to a point where they could go out into the world and disciple others. So if you haven't guessed by now, the title of my sermon today is if you're not dead, you're not done, the importance of continued discipleship. So before we go any further, I want to pay homage to the book where I uh, borrowed the title indefinitely, without permission, because stealing is wrong. If you're not dead, you're not done, live with purpose at any age. And Pastor Don had sent an email out that had that book in there. And the writer of the book, James Watkins. And uh, so I just want to pay homage to that where I borrowed the title. I didn't steal it. Because stealing is wrong, right? So moving on, I hope that you all had a chance to read through Galatians. And I hope that you watched the videos. And if you did, I am proud of you. So let's get started by reading Galatians chapter 1. Verses 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, paper and scribes being costly 2,000 years ago, Paul wasted no time whatsoever getting to the point. So he's shocked at how quickly that the Galatians turned away from the truth that he had given to them. I doubt very seriously if Paul did exactly what I did with Pastor Mark and Pastor Jeremy up here. 
I'm sure he spent time with them. But others came in and tried to preach a different gospel. And Paul reiterates that anyone who preaches anything else is wrong. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So here Paul is searching for an answer to who told them that. Now remember, he's, he's searching for an answer. He didn't text anybody. He had to write a letter. It had to go there. They had to respond and send it back. So he has to wait. So he's getting all of his questions in there. What's going on? Who did this to you? Let's look at Galatians 4, 8 and 9. Formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? How many times have we how many times have you guys ever been in a situation where they call backslidden? He's just backsliding. Why are people backsliding? That's a question. So if you think you can relate, if you understand you can relate to the people in Galatia, the situation they're at. And your pastors and fellow Christians can relate to Paul. And him asking questions as to why you're headed that direction. Let's go to Galatians 5, verses 4 through 6. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not circumcision, not uncircumcision. Those don't matter. Nothing they were trying counted. So whoever told them the falsehoods about being in Christ, the whole you have to be circumcised to be a Christian... Well, they're wrong. Nowhere in Scripture you will find that you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. When I read certain woke and inclusive translations that use brothers and sisters when talking about circumcision, exactly. I'm the same way. I go find a different translation. Because he's not talking to ancestors about circumcision. He's talking to the brethren. He's talking to them. And to those I say, women were not talked to about circumcision. They are not included in this conversation. Stop changing it. 
And I know I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to those people out there that translate scripture and do it wrong. It is a pet peeve of mine. If you couldn't tell. Let's move on. (laughs) We're going to continue Galatians 5 verses 7 through 10. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. I hope it's none of us. There's a penalty to be paid for teaching wrong. Scripture tells us that. So Paul is wondering who is stifling their walk with Christ. Verse 9, if you look at it uh, for the New King James Version, says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've heard that. This one says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little lie ruins the entire thing. That's what it's saying. A little lie ruins the entire thing. Any false teaching can damage the faith of believers, especially new believers. And who is the father of lies? Satan. He inserts little lies that sounds like truth in order to make you go the wrong direction in your faith. Which leads me to my next point. Let's read 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind that worm their way into, into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. When we don't disciple each other, when we don't get together as iron sharpens iron and, and sharpen the faith that we have in each other, this is where it goes so what does this have to do with what we're talking about it has a lot to do with it we're not far from the last days or as I like to tell people people are like when is Jesus coming back we are one day closer today than we were yesterday that's the best answer I can give you Matthew 24 verse 36 says Christ says Only the Father knows. Verse 44, he tells us to be ready. I'm paraphrasing. Those are the important words. Only the Father knows, be ready. We can already see that those who love themselves, they love money, they are boastful, they're proud. They do all the things we just read about in 2 Timothy. And it's getting worse. But I want to read you a quote from a pastor that I admire. 
where he discusses this particular section of 2 Timothy. He says, I want you guys to understand what it says here, that these people who have a form of godliness and deny its power, it doesn't say you can listen to them and take the good from it and hope you, get, you don't get co- corrupted by it. It says, have nothing to do with them. There's a line in the sand that says, this is what the word of God says. This is what you are saying. It doesn't line up with that. So either you're in error and you need to repent or I can't listen to your teaching because where, you, where are you going to take me next? It's that type of teaching that will get you to a place where you don't even recognize your Lord and Savior anymore. It's a beautiful line, isn't it? Y'all want to know who said that? Pastor Jeremy. On May 1st, 2002, in his sermon, Modern Day Pharisees. He also said during that sermon, discipleship doesn't happen overnight. Christ proved that when he spent three years teaching his disciples, knowing that one of them was going to betray him. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the brilliant things that are said by the pastors here, more importantly, Mark and Jeremy. People look at me and they're like, oh man, I can't wait to hear your sermon tomorrow. My response is usually, yeah, me too. not that I don't know what I want to say it's what the Holy Spirit has me for me to say and sometimes I am in awe at what he leads me to say so I remember that sermon from Jeremy and it convicted me and caused me to make some changes in who I listened to outside of this church we're going to miss Pastor Mark we're going to miss his wife But I want you to know, Mark, that we are going to hang on your every word. While we have you here because we know that you love us and you want us all to mature spiritually. So somebody saying the wrong things to the church in Galatia caused them to skew their thinking towards what Christ wanted for them. It's away from the truth. Discipleship is extremely important. And the newer you are in the faith, the more important it is. Because we don't want your wrong thinking to come at any time, and we certainly don't need it coming at the beginning. This year, in October, it will be 35 years since I made a public profession of faith. This year in March, it had been 20 years since I started to mature spiritually do the math that's about 14 and a half years of me not growing beyond anything other than where I was at so when you go out to tell Christ tell, tell others about Christ the biggest issue you may have is the feeling of rejection rejection scared me so I didn't do it I didn't know much so I didn't do it I didn't know what I was talking about so I didn't do it so a few years ago while in seminary I was introduced to and forced to read a book by Bill Fay called Sharing Jesus Without Fear and one of the things that Bill Fay shared in that is this When you go to give the gospel of Christ to someone else, it is not you, 
It is not me they are rejecting, but the gospel of Christ. I have no fear of someone rejecting someone else. So I share Jesus without fear, and I am unashamed to do it. I will tell you, do you know Jesus? People will reject the gospel message. Y'all remember when Stephen was stoned and Paul was there. And Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this against him. And he fell asleep. It doesn't say he died. They were stoning him. And Paul was there. And this was the Holy Spirit working at him when Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And he says, it's hard to kick against the goads. What's he talking about? He's talking about Paul having in his mind what Christ is. And it doesn't align with what he's thinking and certainly not with his actions towards Christians. Have you ever met anybody and you're like, hey, how's it going? How's life treating you? And they're just like, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm just waiting on Jesus to come. I'm like, okay. And on that note, let's move on to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen to this next part. Therefore go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is where I lost it when I was had them up here, right? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. People forget that part. It's not, hey, go out and lead people to Jesus. Dude, I have no clue what I'm doing. You need to teach me because scripture says you are to teach me to obey everything I have commanded. And sometimes we forget that. So if you guys see an expiration date in that, you let me know. If you see an age thing in there that says, hey, after a certain age you can quit, you let me know. I really want to know where it is because I haven't seen it. So if you're sitting there on your porch and you're like, I'm just waiting on Jesus to come, go get off your butt. And go tell someone about Jesus because that's what we're commanded to do. How many of y'all have ever heard of John Harper? One, maybe two. Some of them didn't know until I asked. John Harper was a pastor from Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, he was very well known in the evangelical circles. He didn't have a Facebook page. He didn't have Twitter. He was asked to preach sometime around 1910, 1911 at Moody Church in Chicago. They liked him so well, they invited him back to come for a longer period of time in 1912. So he, his daughter Annie, and his niece Jessie got on board a boat to make their way to America so he could make his way to Chicago and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. While they were aboard this ship, it hit an iceberg and ripped a huge hole in the side of it. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? 
John Harper woke up his daughter, woke up his niece. They made their way to topside. They had their vests on. He put his daughter and his niece in lifeboat number 11 of the Titanic. And he stayed on board to prepare people for death. And how do you prepare people for death? You ask them if they are saved. And he went around on board as the ship was listing around. And when it broke apart and started sinking down, he dove into the ocean. And he's floating around. And it was either on board or in the water. When John Harper asked the man, are you saved? And he said, no. And he takes off his life vest and he gives it to him. And he says, you need this more than I do. As John Harper's in the freezing water, he's floating around on a piece of the wreckage. And he's asking people, are you saved? And when they said no, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's taken from Acts 16.31. That's all he had time to tell them. So I want to read you the testimony of one of the survivors that was in the water. There was only like six people floating in the water, not in lifeboats, that were rescued. This is what he had to say. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow, also on a piece of wreck, near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away. But strange to say, brought him back a little later and he said, are you saved now? He said, no, I said, I honestly cannot say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then John Harper shortly went down. And there alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I believed I am John Harper's last convert. You see, John Harper wasn't dead, so he was not done. He continued on until he breathed his last. Erwin Lutzer, former senior pastor at Moody, visited Harper Memorial Baptist Church in Glasgow, Scotland, on the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic and John Harper's death. The church was renamed several years later after the man that founded the church. And here's what Lutzer wrote at the time. This past April, Rebecca and I were invited to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic with the congregation at the Harper Memorial Baptist Church in Glasgow. To our delight, we discovered that this church, founded by Harper, is still preaching the same gospel that he preached on the Titanic a hundred years ago. Probably the same gospel that they were preaching back 2,000 years ago. Or 1,900 and something. Y'all do the math. So we also learned that his daughter later married a pastor. And she died in 1986, but her daughter and grandchildren were there with us for the celebrations. 
a reminder that there is no substitute for the torch of faith being passed from one generation to another through the influence of godly families. Harper's been dead a hundred years and his legacy of preaching the gospel is still not finished. So even dead, he's still not finished. The apostles have been dead how long? They're still not finished. Because they wrote it down. Let's move on to Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has a key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. Have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That, people, is our goal. To be so faithful that Christ tells us, well done. You persevered. In order to become that, we must remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the great commission to disciple others. Remember what Erwin Lutzer said in his article. A reminder that there is no substitute for the torch of faith being passed from one generation to another through the influence of godly families. Remember what Jeremy said. Discipleship doesn't happen overnight. Jeremy didn't hold Micah in his arms and go, I'm going to lead you to Christ and then that's it. He's, what's he, 21, 20, 20? He's still discipling his son. He's still discipling his daughters because it doesn't end. So Jeremy's published a couple of guides in case y'all didn't know that. It's called Discipleship Begins at Home Blueprint. This is the Discipleship for Life Plan edition. This one is the five-year plan. These will help guide you through teaching others the scripture and discipling them so that they understand what the word of God says that comes from Jeremy in case you didn't know that so if you want to learn how to disciple others I want you to attend a life group 
and see how the leaders teach you because it is where it can begin on a more personal level. Being discipled and discipling others can be a form of teaching scriptures in the form of teaching scriptures just as iron sharpens iron. So reach out to someone today who is a life group leader. You can go out to the vestibule right there by the church office and there's a list of life groups that we have. These life groups are not just Bible studies. They are of sharing life with each other for the encouragement, accountability, faith building, and of loving each other as Scripture calls us to do so often. Life is not meant to be lived alone. As a single man, I understand all too well having segregated myself from any church fellowship for a very long time. Remember when I told you that I was angry with God. I spent five years being angry with God, two more years not really caring. I was no longer angry. And I was living life alone. Had I been in a life group or in some form of fellowship, I don't believe that would have happened. Though I'm still single, you see me here a lot because I understand the importance of being around fellow believers in a like-minded community. So the pastors here just don't do lip service, do as I say and not as I do. They are very much involved in mentoring others and discipling others. They're busy men. I picked up five new people myself that I'm going to start mentoring through the scripture. I want y'all to listen to who they are. Both of my children, my son's fiance, my brother and his fiance. They live two states over, my children. My brother lives in Tennessee with his fiance. We have technology now that we can continue to disciple our children, disciple our family, disciple our friends from wherever we are in this entire world. We don't need to be right next to them. But we do need to make the commitment to make the time to take to share Jesus with them and to go through the scriptures so that they understand what God is telling us in scripture. So throughout Galatians, Paul kept asking the questions of why and who. Why are you falling away from what we taught you? Who is telling you these lies? Who told you these lies? It's shaking your faith. When we continually study scripture and fellowship with others, we are better able to follow Paul's guidance in Galatians 5.1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So I want you guys to stand fast. We're to hold on to scriptures. We're to hold on to what they say, to the truth in them, so that we do not fail and become what Paul fears the Galatians have become. 
We want to strive to become the, like the church in Philadelphia, strong in faith and loyal to the truth. It is our hope that Paul and Haiti find a church when they go to Philadelphia. Now it's in Pennsylvania, not the other one. But it's our hope that they find one. It's our hope that people who have recently left and those that are leaving find also a church that is that strong. So I want you to have the strength always to tell people and the ability to tell people who Christ is to you and to take the time to disciple them. Now I was on a one of those social media things and someone asked in one of the groups has anybody made arrangements for someone to take care of your animals when Jesus calls us home? What? Did, did you just ask that? If I knew my neighbor was still going to be here to watch my animals when Christ calls me home, up in the rapture is what she's talking about, I would be telling them about Jesus because I don't want them to stay here. It still boggles my mind someone would ask that. As I said earlier, if you're sitting on your porch, you're drinking sweet iced tea, you're watching the sunset, and all you can think of is, I'm waiting for Jesus to call me home. Get off your butt and invite your neighbor to your house, and you can sit there and have sweet iced tea together, and you can watch the sunset, and then when it goes down, you can say, that beautiful view was brought to you today by our Lord and Savior. Do you know him? Because you're not dead, you're not done. Jesus gave us a task to do, and that is to disciple others. There's no expiration date. So if you're sitting on your front porch drinking sweet iced tea, you don't ask anybody if they can take care of little Fifi when Christ calls you up in the rapture. You invite them to church and you say, Hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know my Lord and Savior? Let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you and show you who he is through scriptures. And let me talk to you about this. Pretty soon you'll have two people sitting on that porch drinking sweet iced tea, watching the sunset. And they're not talking to each other about who's going to take care of Fifi they're talking about who they're going to lead to Christ who they're going to disciple next who they're going to invite to sit on their front porch with them I want everybody to repeat after me I'm not dead so I'm not done let's try that one more time with feeling like we really mean it I'm not dead, dead. so I'm not done. done. Great. You guys are awesome. Let's stand. Let's go ahead and pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these epistles. 
so that we can see that early churches struggled with the same stuff that we still struggle with today. People who seek to destroy our faith by telling half-truths that sound right but are completely wrong. Father, please strengthen our faith and give us the boldness to stand up to corrupt leaders and false teachers and the boldness to tell others of the love and sacrifice of Christ. Grant us peace as we leave here to go munch on some salad and other vittles and hopefully drink some sweet iced tea. Lord, help them to nourish our bodies and help the fellowship to nourish our souls. For it's in the name of Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.